All right, well, we have been working, and we have this week and one more week on this very short series, but I think important series that we've been working on, and it is on the biblical model, at least, if not mandate, and instructions on how to worship. Not, I'm sorry, not how to worship, how to celebrate, which is very similar to worship. In fact, it is one facet of worship. Um, remember, the worship entails much more than just what we do on Sunday morning. It is really your whole life. But this is the celebratory aspect of worship, um, and we are working our way through it. So let's just do a quick review for those of you who haven't been here for it. Since uh, we're now on our fourth element of proper celebration as a people of God. Um, so let's see how you guys do. What was our first element that we studied? We studied two the first night. Who could tell me the first one of those two? See if we can get them in the right order. We rest. And so God wants no customary work done on many of these days. That includes uh, one day out of seven that we rest. And that Sabbath was listed with the feasts of the Lord. Um, that each week, Lee Sabbath, each once a week that we rest. No customary work being done. In addition, we have with each of the celebrations, we have various high days or other Sabbaths, Sabbath days. And so the first day of the Feast of Weeks the last day, well, usually it's the first and last day of the Feast of Weeks, eight days. First and eighth are Sabbath days. You can work, do customary work in between, but you start it off and end it. Um, whether it lands on a, on a sab normal Sabbath or not, you treat it as a Sabbath. So if it lands on a Friday, you get Friday, no customary work. Saturday, no customary work. If you're in Israel, then you work. And then again, when you get to Friday, Saturday, Friday, again, you would do no customary work, and then Saturday again. So the idea was that you should rest. Rest is one way of celebrating. And so we do no customary work. So when you get your holidays at work, take them. They are there to help you celebrate God's goodness to us. We're going to talk a lot about that today. And so we are called one day out of seven we are called multiple times throughout the year, and then one year out of seven to rest. And you say, I'm waiting for that one year out of seven. Well, take your sabbatical. I told you how to do it. If you don't have any debt, save 15% of your income, and every sixth, seventh year, you can take off work for the whole year. That's all you have to do. Save 15%. Because then you're living on 85%. That includes your giving and everything. And you will save 90%. And you can live well on the seventh year. It's all you have to do. 15% of your income. And you can take every seventh year off. Now you're all going, oh, boy, we can do that? I don't know if your boss will keep your job for you, but you can do that. So we found that rest was something that pleases God God instructs us to do this as part of celebration. And this is something we have carried over into our culture, and that's why your employer gives you those holy days, holidays, is to rest. No customary work being done. All right, what's the second one? 
We eat. To celebrate biblically, you need to eat. These are the feast days of the Lord. And that presses into the New Testament as well. Okay, when we get together for your love feast, when you celebrate the Lord's table, um, and these are all indicators that the church commonly ate together. Um, the eating is part of your celebration of the goodness of God. And so they are always feast days. Now the feast days are not, like I said, medieval in their nature where we just gluttonously consume everything in sight and throw the bones on the floor for the dogs. Um, that's the Middle Ages view of what we think of as a feast, um, where we just eat till for days and days and days. But rather, we have a very specific diet that is made to direct our attention to what we're celebrating. And so, one of the feasts for Israel was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, you ate unleavened bread all week. You say, well, that's not very exciting, especially when your wife makes incredible rolls that rise. Well, for a week you take time off of that <laughs> and eat unleavened bread. And you can eat as much of it as you want, I guess. You feast on it. But you're eating before the Lord and how frequently God calls upon us to eat before him. And this is the principle behind asking the Lord's blessing at the table of every meal. You're inviting him to your table and we are eating in front of him. And so for the Christian that asks the Lord's blessing before each meal, you're really inviting Christ to your table to watch you eat as a means of celebrating what? His provision for you. But on holy days, on times of celebration, uh, we are called upon consistently never to come before him with fasting, never to come, not for celebration. You come before him for fasting for other reasons, but not to celebrate. You never come before him with sullenness, that is with sunken in cheeks, you do not come before the Lord celebrating in that fashion ever, which means that every Sabbath for Israel, they're supposed to eat, and that's why their Sabbath begins at sunset with a meal. Um, you're supposed to eat before the Lord. Okay, so that's the second element that we studied about celebrating in a biblical manner that pleases God. What's the third element? We sacrifice. You might say, we don't have sacrifices like they did at the temple. That is true. But I want to remind you that not all the sacrifices were the slaughter of an animal. And they were to bring offerings before the Lord, and this is how they celebrated. And they celebrated not just the big events, the feast days where they brought sacrifices, but they were bringing sacrifices for any individual or familial event that you're supposed to celebrate. Um, what, was, what were they supposed to do to celebrate God giving you a child? Huh? A sacrifice. What sacrifice? If you're poor. So you have these sacrifices that, how do you celebrate? Well, I celebrate by giving. I don't celebrate by getting. I give it to the Lord. And some of those sacrifices we would have looked at much like Judas has said, what a waste. Just like Judas Iscariot says, why is this lady pouring out this expensive perfume on your feet? Don't you know how much it's worth? It's just being wasted. Well, it's not being wasted. And how many times was Israel called to bring out a drink offering? What's a drink offering? You bring this 
pretty precious drink and you pour it on the ground before the Lord. It is a sacrifice. It's something you are relinquishing and you are rejoicing in God. And so giving and sacrificing is a very uh, essential element of biblical celebration that we sacrifice. And we see that going into the New Testament as well, where we find the people um, in there, whether they are in want or in plenty, didn't matter. They were giving as they were able. And so it's not the same amount of sacrifice for each person. It is, it is based upon a percentage. And so you who have much should give much. You who have little, give little. But give. Do not come before the Lord to celebrate empty-handed. And this is what David said. I'm not going to come before the Lord empty-handed. And so what happens when we celebrate the completion of a building? Like the temple. Well, what does Solomon bring to celebrate? Oh, man. Thousands of animals. Why? Because he had so much. He had to give that much before it started to feel anything. And so, yes, the multimillionaire has to give millions before he starts to feel it. And so he gave all of that. Was he the only one to give a sacrifice for the dedication of the temple to celebrate that? No. But that was his sacrifice listed. There were others. Imagine. And it went on. I wonder it lasted for so long. It took that long just to slaughter all those animals. And so when we look at how do Christians celebrate, we ought to be celebrating with a gift. Once a week, once every occasion, once every event. Um, when these important events happen, um, that we ought to celebrate before God. If you want to please God in your celebrations, you should do it with sacrifice. And so we give that sacrifice. And so on your birthday, instead of asking for presents, you should be looking for an opportunity to give. How do I give to the Lord? And make that effort to say, I want to celebrate this event of the birth of my child. I want to celebrate this event of whatever, a promotion at work, uh, uh, what important, graduating from whatever, uh, celebrate it by sacrifice. And this is very strange to us a little bit, this concept. Um, it's not unheard of in Christian circles. It's very common, in fact, um, about 100 years ago, it's very common that you would always celebrate these things by bringing an uh, a offering, a special gift before the Lord. And, uh, and, whether it was poured out or whether you might say, well, that's just extravagant. And yes, the Dutch person in me that doesn't want to waste anything struggles with that, but God doesn't. God says, that's pleasing in my sight that you pour that out before me. Okay? And so sacrifice. All right, that brings us to tonight, to our fourth element of biblical worship. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Esther. Esther. We're going to go to chapter 9 of Esther. It is the only biblical celebration that is not required in the law for the people of Israel. And so this was instituted later. It is one of the shortest celebrations that we have. It's only two days. Um, there is the other one day celebration, and so it's not the shortest, but it's one of the shortest. It's only two days uh, in duration. It is implemented in the period of the exile, 
And you might say, well, did God direct this? Well, we have it in your scriptures. And what we want to look at is um, one facet of what they understood this to be celebrating. And I'm really going to use this as an example of can we create new holidays? Because this is the one in the Israel that wasn't in the law. And uh, so is it okay for the Jews to be celebrating Hanukkah? That wasn't in the law either. Neither is the Feast of Purim. Purim? Purim. Purim. Um, and so we're going to look at this, how it was done, and whether we should have holidays other than what's required by the law. And we have a group of people, um, especially in the United States, but also in other lands, um, that are that describe themselves as um, messianic Christians and want to emphasize you got we want to go back and keep all the Jewish, uh, all the Israel's feasts and customs and all of those. I don't think the book of Galatians is in their Bible somehow. But um, they want to go back and they want to emphasize those. Well, if we want to go back to the law, then you have to take out Hanukkah, you have to take out the Feast of Purim because none of those are in the law. So I wanted to use this example for us to begin to understand a facet of what celebration is all about. So let's look at this in Esther chapter 9, if you've found it there. Um, and hopefully you know the story of Esther. Most all of you know the, the account of Esther. And so we're at the end of the account. There's already been deliverance. Mordecai and his sons have already been hung. And so, uh, and the Jews have already... Uh, defended themselves, and, and we have now the, the uh, aftermath, if you will. So let's pick up in verse 16. Verse 16 of Hester chapter 9, it says, The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Isn't that interesting? Um, they had a right to it, but they didn't take that, and that is a form of sacrifice, I would contend. It says, this was on the 13th day of the month Adar, and the 14th day of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. What's another elements? Do you see the elements all in place? Sacrifice, we're not taking anybody's stuff. This isn't about us getting. We're not here to acquire junk. That's not what we're celebrating if you're before the Lord. You celebrate by sacrifice. We celebrate by resting. We celebrate by feasting. Okay? So we got already, we got three elements. Bam, 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 right there for us. Isn't that exciting? We're going to look at one element there that we haven't covered. You ready? The last word of that verse is what? Gladness. <laughs> no grumpies. Okay? No grumpies. If you're grumpy, don't come. Is that her name, Grumpella? Is that the name of your doll or something? Samuel thinks so. No one is allowed to be grumpy. You come before the Lord with gladness. And when you come to the Psalms and you find this element of our worship, and does that mean we can't be sober do not confuse gladness with giddiness or silliness. That's not what we're talking about. 
This is about gladness and joy that recognize I am celebrating something significant, but it's significantly good. And so we are glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad to do that. And if you come to celebrate something on the one day out of the week that we gather to celebrate, and you come in grumpy, you're not celebrating before the Lord. He's unpleased. He's just not pleased with it. It is not acceptable sacrifice before him of worship, of celebration. He wants us to be glad. If we're coming to church begrudgingly, oh, I have to go there. There's something wrong in your relationship with God, not in your relationship with the church. Don't blame the preaching. Don't blame, oh, I have to go look at that person. He's ugly. Um, Or your neighbor or something else. The problem is between you and God, that you can't come before him with gladness to take one day out of seven to celebrate that he rose from the dead for you. If you can't bring yourself to come here with some joy in your heart, stay home. Apparently, you guys have been listening to me a lot. We just keep losing more chairs out of here. Um, Come before the Lord with gladness, with singing, with melody in your heart. And if that's not there, you shouldn't be here. Because it is an unacceptable way to come before the Lord. In fact, there are several occasions in God's word where God comes and pointedly says, what is your problem? Why are you coming before me with that kind of a look? With that kind of a countenance? Why aren't you glad? And that goes all the way back to Cain. Why is your countenance fallen? What do you got to complain about? What are you belly aching about? What are you sour about? You're alive and I'm the Lord. and I allowed you to bring a sacrifice and yours wasn't acceptable because it wasn't what I required. You thought you could invent your own instead of doing it my way. Sound familiar? And so they said, well, we're going to have gladness. What precipitates gladness is remembering what you're celebrating. So let's look at it here. Let's look at the rest of the verses. Verse 18. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th day, and on the 15th day of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. In Shushan, they made it three days. Because let's just face it, celebrating is fun. We shouldn't be shortening celebrations. So they lengthened it there. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. And Mordecai wrote these things, sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. 
So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, you're supposed to yell so you couldn't hear the word, the name that I just read. You guys are really bad at this. You need me to read the verse over again? Okay, you weren't prepared for that, were you? So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agadite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast pur, that is the lot, to consume and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot, which Haman had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who had joined them, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. And so it was passed on. And such is the manner in which this was initiated. It was an idea. It represented what actually happened at the time that it happened, but it also required everyone to consent. Mordecai didn't just declare this was going to be a holiday. He looked at the fact that they took two days to do this. He saw this is something we need to commemorate, we need to celebrate, because it is precious. It is the goodness of God. It is a season where God turned sadness to joy, where we went from fasting to feasting. These are things to be celebrated. And they implement this by mutual consent. They all said, yes, we should implement this, not just on us, but on every generation henceforth. And not just for the people of Israel. Do you notice that? We, our families, and all who would join us. And so this is how we are to celebrate. They understood that this is the nature of celebration. And we find the elements right here. I haven't used this text until tonight. And so here's the elements right all in there. But we don't want to miss the whole aspect of gladness. You are celebrating the goodness of God every time we celebrate. When we gather every Sunday, we are celebrating the goodness of God in the power of the resurrection. And we are meeting the first day of the week to commemorate the day of the week that that resurrection occurred. We celebrate his birth from December 25th to January 6th to commemorate the fullness of his birth. We do it with gladness. We do it with giving. You see the sacrifices? So they had sacrificed, I'm not going to take the plunder. And so to commemorate that they didn't take plunder from anybody, what did they do? They sent gifts to each other. They gave gifts. There was no temple at this point. They couldn't give it before the Lord. They gave it to each other. What else did they do? They took care of the poor. 
These are our elements of celebration. You see the sacrifice there, but it's all done with gladness. If you do any of this just out of tradition, just out of necessity, because people expect it, well, you've lost track of what you're doing. You are celebrating the goodness of God. No wonder he doesn't want you to come before him with a frowny face, with grumpy cheeks. Cheeks? Grumpy gills. What? Oh, all right. You guys, I'm sorry I forgot we were Walt Disney World. Um, he doesn't want you to come before him that way. Don't celebrate Christmas grumpily. Don't celebrate the resurrection grumpily. Don't celebrate Pentecost grumpily. I know you don't celebrate at all, but you should. I, I told you this morning there was three. I never listed them this morning, did I? And it's his birth, his resurrection, and Pentecost. Oh, why we don't celebrate Pentecost? Birthday of the church. Coming of the Holy Spirit. It's equivalent in many respects to the coming of Christ. Advent, Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit. Those are the big three for the church. We shouldn't do it grumpily. I've got to go to church today. I just want to stay home and watch football. I want to play with my gifts I just opened. Oh, we've got to go to church. Stay home. Because you come before the Lord with a downcast countenance, you are displeasing to God, and it is not celebration. And so, gladness is an element of celebration. And so, they describe the things they're doing. Well, we're eating, we're having great, we're exchanging gifts, we're talking about how great God is. We're just enjoying ourselves before the Lord. And it's time we understood that these acts are acts of worship. As long as we keep a perspective that this is my joy, this is gladness that we were once in sin, we were once in darkness, we were lost, we were destined for eternal flame. We had no hope, no purpose, we had nothing. And every Sunday morning, if you don't wake up glad, remind yourself why you're going to church. I was in sin and death and misery and darkness, and Christ has delivered me. I will be glad. And rejoice. If nothing, you know, and David says, this is the day the Lord has made. That should be enough. He gave me another day. Here I am. Yeah, sometimes you're feeling puny and sometimes you're feeling sorry for yourself and sometimes you're ill and, and sometimes bad things have happened to you through the week. You've had a hard week. But wake up in the morning and recognize God is still good. And it'll bring gladness into your heart. God is good. God is faithful. God is merciful. Um, God delivers. Passover is a celebration of God's deliverance. We should be happy, even while you're eating unleavened bread. Why are we eating unleavened bread, Dad? That's next week, but why are we eating unleavened bread? Well, it's the bread of haste. Why are we in a hurry? Because we want to get out of Egypt fast as we could. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You're celebrating goodness. You should have gladness. But the goodness you're celebrating is not just random goodness. It is God's goodness. 
And so here, they saw here is a nationally important act of divine deliverance that moved us from endangerment of annihilation as a people to complete preservation and exaltation in the Persian government, in the Persian Empire, and this warrants a new holiday. And the same thing happened during the Maccabean revolt when they purified the temple, casting off the Greek, um, uh, what's his name? Anyway, uh, called himself God incarnate, took on that um, moniker for himself. Uh, and uh, they cast that out, purified it, and that's why they celebrate Hanukkah. And they have the right to do that because there was a great redemption. There was a great deliverance of God of their people. And I think it's right that when you go to Israel, if you go there in the spring, um, they have their Independence Day when they became a nation again. That's huge. Prophetically, it's enormous. We should be celebrating it with them. It's more important than the 4th of July. Do you know when they celebrate Independence Day in Israel? Well, you should. I don't either. I can't remember. I know I, I was there. I was there. What day was it? Do you remember? April? They have their Memorial Day, and then the next day, their Independence Day. They're two days together. Because celebrating one thing one day is kind of... Pfft. Americans do it all the time, and it's really kind of... get one day off. So we try to make it on the weekend so we get three days off in a row, or long weekend, go camping. But um, uh, Israelis still know how to do it better. And so they have the Memorial Day. Everyone's very solemn. Next day is Independence Day. They have a right. They should celebrate that, that God brought this nation out of what appeared to be never going to see it on the face of the earth again, which prompted all of Christianity to say, oh, we, the promises to Israel don't mean anything. They're actually transferred to the church and because Israel didn't exist. Well, now it does. So yes, we should celebrate that. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. And so, um, when we look at these things, it's okay. And it's important that when God gives us, uh, as the church, a, a demonstration and an exercise of his deliverance, of his goodness, of his grace, that we say, we are going to take this day as a holiday. And Yes, you might even have to use a sick day or your vacation time to do it because your employer might not understand. But that might be okay because remember last week's element was, or two weeks ago, was sacrifice. You can lose a day's pay or a little bit of your comp time or whatever to celebrate something the world doesn't recognize as a holiday. But we have a calling of God to remind each other about his goodness. And that's what all of these are for. And you cannot do it with a sour puss on your face. You've got to have gladness. God is looking at your face when you claim to be celebrating. And if you're going, because you're thinking about, I don't know, what do you think about on January 1st? By the way, if you read the paper, the newspaper today, oh, how sour is the world? Every year in review is negative in the paper today. Did you guys read it? First, don't even bother. Okay, don't do it. I was like, I was, 
I was, got up early this morning because I went to bed last night. I didn't stay up. I'll stay up tonight. But um, I was like, what is wrong with these people? Oh, look what 2016 did to us. Look at this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's all the world has. But we have cause to celebrate. So let's do it. But make sure we do it with gladness. Do it with sacrifice. And if sacrifice, if you can't gladly sacrifice, then you don't understand celebrating like a Christian. You don't understand the value of sacrifice, of giving. I love the attitude of David. I'm not going to give to the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. I'm going to buy this hill for its value plus. I'm going to give you more than it's worth so that when I give it to God for the temple, it hurts me. It's a sacrifice. It hurts my wallet, but it gives me joy in my heart. And so he willingly paid more than it was worth so he could give more to God. When the guy says, you don't have to pay me at all, you can pay me half. It's like, no way. And so we, we see this, this attitude that is the upswell of gladness. And let gladness be part of your celebration. And so tonight, we are celebrating still our Lord's birth until the 6th when we have the Magi arrival, the Epiphany, and I expect you to do it with gladness. We're going to have some feasting. We already did some singing. If you got here late, shame on you. You missed the singing, and God wants you to sing before his presence. Um, and, uh, and I expect you to be glad. Enjoy yourself. Do things that put a smile on your face, and if playing volleyball doesn't make you smile, then don't play volleyball. Come back when we're playing we're playing dodgeball, and we'll smack you with the ball a few times. Then you can laugh. Huh? Oh, castle. Yeah. Don't even get me started there. Do things that make you smile. Because you're doing it before the Lord. Do it with gladness. And as a family, you can identify things that make you glad. And if going out into the woods and eating off of Tin plates over an open fire makes you glad, then do it. Okay? If you prefer to go on a cruise in the Mediterranean to make you glad, to celebrate, do that. But make sure you're glad before the Lord. But I also, we're going to talk about a little bit. Notice that they gathered together. Gathering is, we're going to come, I might have to extend this. I'm coming up with a lot more elements biblically. The more I study it, the more elements I'm finding in God's description of celebration, but do it with gladness tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for these instructions. And, and we have to acknowledge that we get wrapped up in the junk of this world, and it does steal our joy. And we're sorry for that, and we apologize. We pray that you might forgive us for that sin to come before you with anything but gladness. And so as we celebrate this season of your coming to deliver us from our sin, um, Lord, help us to do it with gladness in our heart and on our countenances and in our attitudes. As well as the other elements, Lord, help us not to neglect them. But remind us again and again of your goodness, and it must produce gladness in your people. And we thank you for it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.